This is The Guardian. Uh, hi, Podfans. Max here. I hope you're looking forward to this podcast. Just to say that uh, for half an hour, Jordan Jarrett Bryan's microphone stopped working and producer Joel's backup also failed. So we didn't substitute Jordan for half an hour. He didn't leave. He was there saying things, uh, but no one will ever hear them. This has major implications for Aston Villa Tottenham and Crystal Palace Bournemouth. I forgot who they played just then um, because he was the main slash only contributor for those games. Um, We'd like to apologise and we seek forgiveness. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Is that the title done? Then Arsenal get the good Brighton as opposed to the get hammered at home by Everton Brighton. While City get the normal Everton as opposed to the hammer Brighton away Everton. Gundogan's control and finish the pick of the goals while the incisive Enciso just the next amazing example of Brighton's recruitment. Elsewhere Southampton are down. Maybe Hassan Hootl was good after all Barry. A thrilling draw on the pitch at Ellen Road between Leeds and Newcastle. While off it the fan confronts Eddie Howe leading to brackets my fault existential questions about the morality of moralising and social media. Good Aston Villa beat not very good Spurs to go level on points with them. Frank Lampard's unbeaten run stretches to two while Eberichi Eze scores a brilliant brace. Chelsea win the Women's FA Cup. Sam Kerr the hero. Another amazing National League playoff game and Notts County are in the Football League. It's advantage Sunderland in the Championship playoffs and through gritted teeth. Well done to Peterborough for hammering Sheffield Wednesday. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, welcome. Good morning, mate. Hello, John Bruin. Hi, Max. And hello, Barry Glendening. Hello, Max Rushton. Uh, let's start then with those two games yesterday. And uh, we'll start the Emirates, I'm afraid. Jordan Arsenal, Mill Brighton, three. Um, how are you feeling? I'm not feeling great. I understand as a broadcaster and journalist and as a football fan why Arsenal are the story here. I, I totally get it. But I think actually Brighton are just as much a story here as Arsenal are. I think Arsenal were disgraceful. I think it was an awful performance. I, I, I do, I really do. And I think I've been very complimentary about this team and rightfully so all season. But I've been reading a lot overnight and hearing a lot of people talk about a lack of intensity from Arsenal in the game yesterday. I don't fully agree with that. I think intensity was there. I think what wasn't there um, in the first half in particular were, well, there's two things I think have been a problem. First of all was a lack of being clinical. I think Arsenal created chances. Arsenal won the ball. Arsenal pressed well in that first half. They just wasn't clinical. And the second problem is a problem that I think has undermined Arsenal's title charge all season. And it's the amount of goals they've conceded at home. That, for me, has been has been really alarming from a very early part of the season. I'm thinking about two against United, Man United, three against Manchester City, two against Bournemouth, two against Brentford, three against Southampton, three against Brighton. You can't be conceding these sorts of numbers of goals at home and think you can win a Premier League title. And I think that this game epitomise both of those facts, not being clinical up front and also being really, really vulnerable and and weak at the back. We'll get to Brighton in a bit, I'm sure, and I, I want to praise them too. But I just thought watching Arsenal yesterday, there was an air of, oh, Everton, who we thought might do us a favour, have just got absolutely slapped by Manchester City. The title now really is over. For me, Max, the title went to the Etihad. That was a game where I thought it's gone. But I do feel that there was an outside chance of at least pushing it to the, to the last week of the season. And that for me is disappointing. Not the fact that it's the final nail in the coffin. It's more the fact that they didn't even take it to the last weekend or the last week of the season, which I think would have been, would have been what they deserve. It's going to look probably now like a, a gap between first and second of eight, nine, ten points rather than three, four, five points. And, and that, for me, isn't really a fair representation of how well Arsenal have done this season. So for me, whilst it was a massive shock, I think, to everyone to see Brighton be so convincing at the Emirates yesterday, when you really look at how Arsenal performed over the course of the season at home, it really, and how good Brighton are, and they were warned by De Zerbi, it actually isn't that big a shock, in my opinion. Hashtag bottle jobs was trending on Twitter. Of course it was. Uh, Harry says several people are determined to exonerate Arsenal from the charge of bottling it. How else to describe a team chasing the title, gaining six out of 15 points in April? Yeah, they dropped 12 points in the last seven games. I sort of think, Barry, Nicky 
Bandini has spoken the best about this. They have kind of bottled it, but they've done really well to be in a position to be able to bottle it. Uh, I agree. I, along with most people, I think, had no expectation that they would lead the table for quite a long time and still be in the mix. I didn't think they'd be in a title race at all. So I think they've done well to keep it going this long. Certainly the accusations that uh, they've bottled it, I think apply to the points they dropped against Southampton and West Ham. Not necessarily Liverpool, a draw at Anfield is a decent result. They played well in part in that game. Liverpool were by far the better team in the later stages of that game. So I don't think that's a bottle job. And then you got to look at the team that's going to win the title, who have strength and depth that Arsenal can only dream of. They can rest four key players ahead of Wednesday's game against Real Madrid and it doesn't make any discernible difference. That's a luxury other teams don't really have. Uh, and that that team is, is a state-run winning machine who, you know, we've got to mention, is, is facing charges of financial shenanigans. We don't know when that will be settled. They have bottomless resources. So City should be winning the title and... I suppose if there's any benefit to Newcastle being taken over by Saudi Arabia, it's that in years to come, because they also have bottomless resources, they might give City more of a run for their money. Um, but I, I think the hashtag bottle jobs is very unfair. Uh, but yeah, they, they did drop points in matches they should have won, and that is certainly that certainly applies. Would it have made a huge difference? I'm not so sure. Um, I agree with what the lads have had to say. Um, this bottle jobs thing that people you know throw around, there's always that tinge of nastiness, isn't there? Really, you know. I mean, Arsenal. Uh, why did Arsenal fail to win the title? Well, they failed to win the title because they probably weren't good enough to win the title. But we knew that at the start of the season, they were just better than we thought at the start of the season. They have had a really good season. When we think about this season, such as the the dominance of Manchester City over the Premier League at the moment, is that you almost have to look for your kicks elsewhere uh, if you're not a Manchester City fan. And Arsenal have been one of the teams that provided those kicks. Brighton are another, who have had, had a brilliant season. Um, but Arsenal played fantastic football uh, for quite a lot of the season. And even in their, uh, in inverted commas, bottle job, they've provided entertainment as well. And if you are a neutral, and none of us here are neutrals really, but uh, I, I thank God that Arsenal are around this season, because otherwise Manchester City would have rolled to the title, and um, the point Barry makes is correct. And uh, I, I don't. Um, Barry messaged me the other day actually and said, "Why does nobody mention these hundred charges? You know, when when on TV or in print?" And, and it's correct; it's not mentioned enough. Uh, Manchester City fans will say to you, well, uh, you know, they haven't been proven yet and all that. That's also true. So when the Premier League is in that that amount of doubt, let's look at Arsenal now and just say they've had a great season. It didn't go quite well for them. And there are many reasons for that, you know, injuries or whatever. Uh, but um, they just fell flat against Brighton and they fell flat against the other team that played great football to lift the season. And actually, Jordan, when you think about what John says, there have been, not only has Arteta sort of proved more than, than I think a lot of people thought, if you go to that Arsenal team, Ramsdale has had a brilliant season. You know, Ben White has been a revelation at right back. Zinchenko and Jesus have come in from City have been brilliant. Odegaard has been on another level. Saka is totally lovable. And Ketia, when Jesus got injured, came in and scored lots of goals. I'm missing it. Martinelli has been brilliant. Like, like I'm missing players, obviously. Xhaka's had this amazing renaissance. Like, they may not win the league, but there's so much to celebrate. As John says, without them, what would this season have been at the top? No, I agree. And I think as an Arsenal fan, it's the first time in maybe over a decade I've got an Arsenal football club that I actually like. And I think in amongst the meltdowns of Arsenal fans overnight because of yesterday's results, we have to remember that over the season, we've seen some phenomenal football, some brilliant goals from some players that we really, really um, feel connected to. I just think on the game itself yesterday, I think... 
I mean, the, the, the early part where Martinelli had to come off injured, I had no idea how that wasn't at least a yellow. But then to be fair, I think Martinelli was lucky to stay on the pitch because of his incident a few minutes before that. So I think the referee had a bit of a, had a, bit of a dodgy game. And I also think it was interesting that in the week where Martin Odegaard came third in the Football Writers Award, and I think rightfully so, I can't think of a captain who gets subbed as much as, as, much as he does. Um, I don't know if it's a fitness thing. I don't know if he just hasn't got it. He runs a lot. He he triggers our press. But I just, I, I find it interesting. Some of the subs in the game yesterday, I just thought a, a little bit bizarre. Um, and I just think to take off your captain, the, the guy that creates in a time when it was, I think, still 1-0, I found that a bit, a bit, a bit bizarre as well. But yeah, it's. I don't. I'm not. I'm not too despondent about it. It's been a very, you know, wet, damp um, end to the season. But what's been a really, really good season in which, if it wasn't for Arsenal, as you said, City would have run away, run away with this title weeks, maybe months ago. Meanwhile, Barry Brighton were brilliant, and and we all expected a reaction after that sort of ridiculous Everton game. They they just sort of continued to surprise, and maybe they shouldn't surprise us anymore. They they have no fear. They keep coming up with new players. You know, Enciso is looks like incredibly good. Deserby taking over from Potter has done this incredible job. They are like as John says, like you know, these two are two of the most entertaining sides this season. And Brighton were brilliant. They were brilliant, uh, utterly fearless, taking the pace at times. Nearly uh, the way they were stroking the ball around in. You know, at the Emirates away from home, there was that incident where Jason Steele, I think, led to the first goal, didn't it? Jason Steele played the ball out, almost intercepted by Granite Jacker, and people were making out Steele had got away with one there. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He's he's had a couple of shockers. I mean, a couple of ricks since coming into the side. But uh, I've said before, he's. I think he's a real good player. I'm delighted to see him doing well after. You know, his confidence bottomed out when in that, that visibly bottomed out in that Sunderland till I die series where he was not playing well for Sunderland. But anyway, um, I digress. It, it was just a superb performance on by Brighton. I, I, and uh, I'm kind of surprised by what Jordan said in his, his opening comments. And because when Mikel Arteta said after the game that we, we owe the fans an apology, I. I thought he was being a bit hard on, on his side because Brighton are very good. We know that the game against Everton was a rare aberration. Uh, and I totally expected a reaction and, and it duly came. Uh, they they went to the Emirates and they thoroughly outplayed Arsenal, really, and, and comprehensively beat them. And look, like now, John, they're favourites for sixth. Could even catch Liverpool in fifth, depending on, on what they do. And that kind of gives hope to lots of teams like I don't know I just think I've seen Brighton play Cambridge right you know they yes of course you've got to get some financial backing but if you're well run not quite the sky is the limit but you know the Europa League is the limit no I mean I went to uh what would have been I don't know LDV fans trophy many years ago uh and it was Brighton Brentford uh you know Brentford's old ground and of course those two now are this uh both of them paragons of how to run a club how to get up and and survive in the Premier League. One thing is, uh, Gazerby, uh, who actually gave a very, um, I don't know if you watched his post-match interview with Kelly Dalgleish, you know, um, well, we have this, you have this almost like TVAM setup now, don't you, where the referee wanders in for a chat on the sofa, uh, and so you all get to chat with, you know, Roy Keane or whoever. But I, I do think he completely owned that scenario while actually speaking through a... <laughs> Through a translator, he has he has serious charisma as a manager, and I've been to a couple of his press conferences at games during this season, and um, obviously things are slowed down because of the translator. But when he speaks, he speaks very directly. And actually, he, one of the more honest things that he said was, uh, "Oh, uh, yeah, uh, some of the players will be leaving," and mentioned Alexis McAllister by name. Completely like without. I mean, you don't normally get that in manager speak, do you? Normally, it's like, well, we'll have to see what comes of this summer, and blah, blah, blah. straight through. One of the challenges for Brighton, you would expect, is that when the next round of sackings comes around of managers, or maybe Deserby is going to be a wanted man if Brighton continue on this uh, curve that they're on at the moment, because he's a very impressive character. He's also got that charisma as well. Let's make the comparison with the Jose Mourinho run down the sideline as well. Um, the guy could be box office. He could be. 
they sell a lot of players who don't then necessarily go on to be amazing. Like Trossard's actually been really good at Arsenal, but it's not a guarantee, is it? Uh, meanwhile, before that, City won 3 0 at Everton. I think a few of us, you know, thought maybe Everton could do something. Daisy says, if even the best counter attacking team in the world can't beat Man City, who can? And Jordan, Ilkay Gundogan, right? That first goal, the, the finish is great, but the control with his thigh as he's kind of jumping and someone is up the back of him is. Sort of unbelievable, like the the cushioning on his thigh. I don't know. I don't know what he's got on his thigh, like musk muscles and cushion. It was, <laughs> it was such a great goal. It's one of the best goals I think I've ever seen, and I think that sounds like a, sounds quite dramatic. But it, it, the technique and skill, as you're as you're articulating there, to kind of have your back to goal, uh, Mika Richards, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but his analysis, I think, of the goal was was quite good. In that he's he's half turning, as so not, he's not he's not static back to goal, he's half-turning, controls it, has the presence to know where he is, and then the technique to flick it with the power to beat Fick Pickford. That, it's, it's just a brilliant goal from a brilliant player. And a player that I think I, I saw hashtag clutch trending as well, because if you think of the last three or four seasons, in the back end or the last, the, 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 when it really matters, he's the guy that seems to be stepping up. There was a year, I think it was two seasons ago, where he scored like 10 goals between Christmas and the end of the season. He scored the crucial goal, I Think last season, the last game of the season uh, against Villa. Villa. Yeah. yeah, he just yeah, seems yeah. to be a player that no longer, but for a long time was going under the radar because the likes of Aguero and David Silva and De Bruyne get all the credit. But he's he's such an intelligent player, and I'm really keen to see where he ends up on a free um, at the end of the season. Why is it? Is he going to go? Do you think? Why is it, John, that I don't get excited when I see him on a team sheet? Because I should. Like he's clearly brilliant. Does this not speak to the uh, the utter mastery that uh, Pep Guardiola has to hand? In that uh, Gundogan, wherever he goes, uh, should he go? Uh, and I think John's correct that he probably is going to go. Uh, will walk into that team and be almost like team leader. Will be a dominant professional, a senior professional, which he is at Manchester City on the quiet. Obviously, he's the team captain. But it's it's almost that that Manchester City uh, burn so many are able to burn so many matches through the season. It's like okay, at this point of the season, it's your job, Gundo. You win it for us. And he is that good, and he has so much talent that he he can do that. He can win a game at Everton. You know, dominate completely, and and just give De Bruyne. Uh, you know, let's list the rest of the players. You know, the the day off because he is that good. Um, and you know, I think they they paid. Was it twenty million for him or something like it? it was quite a, not not much, um, you know, because he, he was really highly regarded at Dortmund. Had a knee problem, also had a knee problem when he went Manchester City, and then suddenly this this player has become, yeah, a, a little like Fernandinho. That as as the more and more it goes on, you begin to appreciate his importance. It's and like also a fine wine, isn't he? Yeah, you also appreciate a vine. How, how good Guardiola is at making a, a certain player fit into a team, and you think, yeah, without him, what? And, and you know, how are Manchester City going to be without Gunnar? Well, they're going to be still really good, obviously, but um, they will miss him. They will miss him. De Bruyne was on the bench, um, as John mentioned there, Barry, rested for Real Madrid. It makes that game enormous, right, on their quest for the treble, and it makes the FA Cup final like if they if. We presume they win the title and, and if Arsenal somehow get it back, fair play. You can play this back to us and we're all idiots. Um, Manchester United trying to stop Man City winning the treble given that Man United were the last team to do it and as I'm completely mistaken, am I completely mistaken? Have Man City done it? They haven't, have they? Because they haven't won the Champions League, right? So, And Liverpool haven't done it. So, so that, you know, we also has the magic of the cup gone. Well, you know... Hopefully the cameras will be on the bus at 8 a.m. for that <laughs> FA Cup final. It will be a huge achievement if they can win the treble. They have work to do, obviously, but it will be no surprise if they win the treble. And we're probably go we're going to have an FA Cup final where Manchester United are going in as the, the plucky little upstarts trying to slay this big Goliath, uh, who, who they hate, obviously. And... They could beat City. You know, City are beatable. We know that, but they don't look too beatable at the moment. United have done this before, you know. They have denied, uh, in 1977, 
uh, actually my first birthday, I remember it very well. They they did this to Liverpool, beat them at um, beat them at Wembley in the FA Cup final. Liverpool went to Rome that's on the Wednesday and, and won their first European Cup. So history is history on the side. No, of course it's not. Uh, we, 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 um, they are the in that they were the plucky underdogs. Manchester United, the most famous club in football. All right, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at St Mary's. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Southampton are down after a sort of meek 2-0 home defeat to Fulham. Um, Kapanosti saying, I think Barry may finally know what Southampton are. And that, unfortunately for them, is a championship club. You were there, John, to witness their relegation. How was it? It's not the first time I've been to a, a relegated, you know, a club being relegated. I went to Hull about a few years back. And it was a similar atmosphere. Uh, it's the uncertainty among those people that work at the club that always makes you feel uneasy because, of course, uh, Southampton will be without £100 million that a Premier League, being a Premier League club is with. And so how does this affect people's jobs? The uncertainty is the part of it. They all know that it's been happening all season. There was a very doomy, um, I mean, friendly, but also you know, accepting of the fate that was going to come, uh, but not as accepting of the fate as Southampton's team were. Uh, who were very meek against a Fulham team that I don't think could quite believe their luck. I mean, they, they didn't play very well at all themselves in the first half, but then uh, Carlos Vinicius, who uh, has had a slightly troubled season, Fulham scored and Mitro came on within seven minutes, had scored, happy days Fulham. Uh, and then, you know, we, we wait for hours for the manager to come in and say, you know, I take responsibility for my part of the season, uh, which is quite amusing, you know, I take the responsibility from the Chelsea game onwards. Uh, no mention of name. Did they all need to be there at the presser? They should sort of bring all the managers <laughs> yeah, back, like yeah, a reunion. Right. Yeah, like a like like Blue Peter at the end of the year or something like that. And I just, <laughs> I just, yeah. But Nathan Jones is nowhere to be seen. Nathan Jones was doing punditry on the Luton Sunderland game. He was he was otherwise engaged. Listen, the funny thing is. I mean, Nathan Jones is blamed for this, but he is not on the list of people to be blamed for this season. You know, you've got the ownership. The owner, the owners, not very helpfully for those that had to file on a deadline, decided to release a statement later on that evening, uh, which sort of said, you know, we, we do accept, but almost not accepting responsibility while accepting responsibility. You know, this the way these type of things go. There's been a lot of sort of shifting behind the scenes there and people leaving the club. Um, and you know, you look at say James James Ward Prowse, one of those that fronted up afterwards, um, and he just said, you know, we need to look at what went wrong, and that wasn't necessarily all on the field. Southampton's been going that way for a, a couple of years, and if I may answer a question that you might have had asked towards Barry about Ralph Hasenhutl, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Ed Elliott from PA, ran through the numbers of average points per game of Southampton's three managers. And unfortunately, Ralph was still under one point per game. So I think that proves that not even Ralph could get this job done. You say there that James Walprouse, you know, said we need to have a long, hard look at what's gone wrong. How long, Jordan, do you think James Walprouse will be having that long, hard look and how long? I mean, he's been a great servant to that club, but he seems like of all the players who are going to stay in the Premier League, he would certainly be one of them. Yeah, no, I've, I have no doubt that he will be in the Premier League. What I was trying to work out on the weekend was which level club would come in for him because is is he good enough to play for a Champions League, uh, you know, playing club? I'm not quite sure. Is Europa League, is like Spurs, Villa, his kind of level... Or is he actually just a functional player in a mid-table Premier League team? I, I couldn't quite work out where he would go, but I am confident that he will definitely move on. I don't think he's the only one. I think oh, someone, someone, someone to stop Harry Kane putting a free kick into the wall sounds like an absolute dream to me. <laughs> I was going to say you can see Ward Prowse and Oliver Skip because uh, they almost look quite similar actually, but in, like, in some sort of tandem. I thought Villa it has Ward Prowse. You know, even though they've got a good midfield, but um, I was chatting to a Fulham fan the other night and I was saying, you know, he'd be a, an upgrade and refused to say that he was better than Harrison Reed, which I'm, I'm not sure about. You know, he, he would be a, a decent squad member of any team in the Premier League. I think going right up to 
see your Liverpools, you know, maybe not Manchester City level, but anyone else will be below that. No, for sure. But I, I wonder if Spurs, I, I can't help but thinking that with Spurs' rebuild, I don't know who their manager is going to be next season, but he feels like they should reset and players like James Ward-Prowse could be part of that reset. You know, Premier League proven, decent age, you know, all the got cliches, honest pro, has a bit of quality as well. It feels like Spurs is a sort of, and he ain't going to cost, cost the earth. I feel like Spurs should be real rebuilding with players like James Ward-Prowse as part of that process. So we've basically decided mid-table is his level, yeah? <laughs> I was, I was going to say that um, as much respect as we owe James Ward-Prowse, I'm not sure that's the flagship signing that Tottenham fans are looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but just on that, on that point as well, though, Max, I think there's other players at Southampton that they should be arguably more concerned about losing. He will go, for sure. They've, they've, they've resigned to him going. I mean, he might have gone even if they stayed up. But there's, there's some other players at that club that I, that I like the look of. Lavia has had a really good season. Belacocha is another player that I think they would like to hold on to. They might struggle to. So they've got some other players that they would like to hold on to, I think, to come back to the Prem that they actually might, might lose as well. Ted says, can John Bruin tell us some of the best albums from the last year that Fulham finished above Chelsea? Well, we worked this out. It was 1983, didn't we? Uh, and uh, so we'll start with the obvious. The Falls album that year was Perverted by Language, bit of a classic actually. Uh, New Order's Power, Corruption and Lies, uh, absolute classic, uh, which is their Blue Monday era, except Blue Monday isn't on the album because that's what re- that's what really cool bands do. Right. They're the soul mining. Um, uh, let's have a look, shall we? Uh, one sec, I had this written. Oh, feels like enough. We've got quite a lot to get through, John. That feels like an. That feels really? like enough. I, I was. For I, my, I, I, uh, I mean, the best-selling album of 1983 was uh, actually. I do know this. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. So there you Michael go. Michael Jackson. That's yeah, yeah. Right there we are. Yes, I watched that video when I was far too young. Terrifying. Um, uh, to Ellen Road, Barry leads to Newcastle two. I mean, that minute or two where Bamford misses the penalty and Wilson scores, I thought there's no way Leeds are getting anything from this game. If you're a Leeds fan in that stadium, I'm thinking, oh, dear, this is a disaster. Yeah, it was a bonkers game. And you suspect that Bamford uh, missed penalty could have serious repercussions for Leeds. They were happy to get the point. Only time will tell whether it was enough or not. Yeah, Callum Wilson's a very cool customer, slotted home too. So I think that's nine out of nine he scored. Is that the season for Newcastle? And yeah, it was it was an action packed incident packed game on and off the pitch. Really really entertaining. And uh yeah, will will it be enough for Leeds? I have a feeling it may not be, but and they may rue not taking all three points. Should Bamford have taken the penalty? Well, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, no, he shouldn't. (laughs) um, You're right. He certainly shouldn't have put it there, should he? But his penalty record isn't great. Uh, So, anyway, Leeds... I mean, this was quite a weird game as well. Junior Furpo, I don't know what he was doing. Um, He won a penalty. He gave away a penalty. He could have given away a second penalty. He was lucky to be on the pitch. Then he wasn't on the pitch anymore because he got sent off. Um, and I, I don't know what Junior Furpo is doing in the Premier League in general, really. <laughs> I mean, I don't... I, I, he, he was at Real Betis, wasn't he? And Barcelona bought him and then just immediately were like, ah, uh, we... You know, and they did a good job getting him to Leeds. Let's put it that way. Yeah, they got two games left, West Ham away and Spurs at home. So, look, West Ham have got yeah, their eyes on other things at the moment. Like, presumably, they still have by that time. Spurs at home, I mean, you could definitely win that football match, couldn't you, John? I tr- just say something, no, something about Leeds. It's something about a Sam Allardyce team. Something like you can almost tell a, a Sam Allardyce team, but you don't have the shirts by the way that the almost like the players, ha- like their, their stance becomes almost like Sam's himself. This sort of what. <laughs> sort of like clanking big machine and, and Leeds suddenly remember Leeds about two or three weeks ago with this sort of scuttling little team that played interchangeable football as soon as they become an Allardyce team they just become this sort of like isn't that when you know like the, the, the like 
Conservative Party office make Theresa May stand really sort of legs, a str- that sort of power pose? That's yeah, there's, yeah there's like a Sam mm. stance. Yeah, there's a Sam stance. It's like, you know, back and face the ball and in, in like this. Yeah, And when you go into a tackle, you do it very sort of stiff-legged. And I just, I mean, this is the, the mastery of Sam as a manager. But I, 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 you can just, any Sam Allardyce team... And, there's always this thing where people say, oh, they'll play with an intensity. That's not how I analyze teams. It's always about shape. They always keep the shape, keep the shape. And that game, funny enough, it, it, because it, so much happened in the game, it sort of got away from the Sam Allardyce shape. People, He doesn't want the game to be exciting. He wants it to be shape, this clanking uh, stance that they have. They did play very well in the say first 25 minutes and then... The missed penalty followed by the Callum Wilson penalty, that kind of knocked the stuffing out of them a bit. So they did well to, to come back and rescue a point. Bob says, is it morally wrong for a manager or anybody to raise a concern that a person from the crowd got too close enough to threaten them because of what country the majority owners of his club are from? Kev, is it OK if someone invades my personal space who shouldn't that I mention it? Or do I have to be aware of every facet of every relationship I have or have ever had before I open my mouth? He was shot by a spectator uh, who got into the manager's technical area uh, from the home end before being dragged away by security staff. Leeds later confirmed there was an arrest. Support has been banned for life. We had lots of questions on this, not on the incident, uh, which is obviously completely out of order, but on what I said on TalkSport yesterday. What did you What did you say, Max? Okay, so this is verbatim what I said yesterday. Obviously, don't run onto the pitch and bush a manager. That seems pretty sensible advice. Eddie Howe afterwards saying no one should feel like that their own personal safety is violated. You could take that sentence out of context and think about who owns Newcastle. And I find Eddie Howe moralising on any issue quite difficult since he's pointedly refused to answer any questions on that subject. And perhaps we shouldn't expect him to. He is absolutely right on this particular subject, but it's worth bringing up for all clubs who are owned by nation states. I will not exclude Manchester City or PSG or even potentially Manchester United on that but do not invade the pitch. It is stupid. It was picked up by Newcastle Twitter. It was slightly misquoted. I've had, I mean, an avalanche of abuse for 24 hours. So it is quite hard to filter out the reasonable questions on this, which there have been some. And, and, you know, I'm never sort of too proud to, you know, if you get a lot of questions, it's worth questioning yourself, saying, was it the right time to bring it up? Um, Eddie Howe was obviously going to be asked about it. His answer is very reasonable. He hasn't really talked about anything but football. And so I felt it was relevant. But And, and don't just tr- be kind to me because you're mates. W- was what I said completely out of order? Uh, I think Eddie Howe has every right to voice his displeasure at being accosted in his own technical area by a, a pitch-invading thug. That's for starters because it shouldn't happen. It did happen. If someone is hell-bent on getting to, on the pitch into the technical area, it's hard to stop them. Uh, the guy's since been banned for life, arrested, charged, so, you know, justice will presumably run its course. I think you have every right to voice your displeasure as one of the most storied clubs in English football being taken over as a sports-washing project uh, by the investment fund of a nation state that is led by somebody who you could argue is a thug. Uh, but I'm not sure one is any way linked to the other in this case. And I did note that you, you mentioned it, or when you mentioned it on the radio, I thought, oh, this won't end well, but I didn't say anything. But I, I've said this to you before, Max. I'm I'm not sure what you expect Eddie Howe to say when he's asked about Newcastle's ownership. You know, what criticisms do you expect him to level publicly at the people who have given him this life-changing opportunity as far as career advancement is concerned you know by taking the job he has, he's that's more or less a statement right i am i am okay with this i may have private reservations but you know i you're not going to slag off your boss in your at your unveiling no no actually no no you're right and actually and actually and, and like by saying it you're not going to change what happens in saudi arabia i suppose i'm very conscious that I, I hear so many people talk about, and this podcast is not that. We talk about this. We talk about City, as we already have. But I see so many broadcasters and read so much stuff where it is just, we've talked about that once, that's done, gone away. We don't need to talk about that. All we can talk about is the football now. And so I feel some kind of responsibility to bring it up. But honestly, when you when you face it, and not all the uh, the criticism was abusive, but a lot of it was, and a lot of it was not actually what I said, Um. 
you do think, oh, why the hell am I bothered? You know, like I don't want to sit my head above the parapet. I just want to have a nice time and not say anything, you know, controversial. Max, I, I'm I'm surprised that you didn't pick up on this. What I actually said uh, was, uh, nobody should have to feel their personal safety is violated. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, you agree with that. When trying to entertain the country, is what he said. When trying to entertain the country, what does what does Eddie Howe think he mm. is? You know, does he think he's a Blue Peter presenter? Does he? You know, I mean, like it was a very strange phrase, and considering some of the football that Newcastle played at various points of games, not all of games, but you know, is 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 time wasting? Is that trying to entertain the country? Is Nick Pope's uh, seven seconds or what, his record time over goal kicks? Is that trying to entertain the country? I sort of understood what you were getting at. You can't have it both ways on on that issue, I don't think. Barry is also correct to say that if you mention that, you know what you're going to get from those fans as well. Mm-hmm. Because what, what we're talking about is that these clubs have mo- these clubs have mobilised their fans. Actually, all f- not even clubs that you know owned by state owned op- operations or whatever. Fans will mobilise, and if you criticise their club, if you criticise, say. You know, tram me, you can criticise Wrexham in particular, you know, they will come for you in their droves if you, they feel that you have criticised their man, their entertainer in Eddie's case just, just briefly, on, on that the, the social media point, you know, we can all take, you know, abuse by email or, but th- there are colleagues of mine, friends of mine journalists who have reported on certain clubs who have been confronted in the street by by fans now it's not got aggressive just yet but you never know, you know, like it, it's you know, it's happening in airports, outside grounds. You know, that's when it all gets a bit too heated and you sort of have to forget, hang on, it's only football, but it, it becomes more important than actual the game itself. Hmm. I think we've got problems if that's that's the way it's going. Uh, all right, that'll do for part two. Uh, a lot to cover the rest of the Premier League, the Women's <laughs> FA Cup final, the playoffs. and <laughs> We'll do that in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so let's talk about the European places. Villa beat Spurs 2-1. Um, booking you, Jordan, has become a guarantee that Villa will get a significant result that weekend. Um, uh, <laughs> we, can, we can book Jordan ahead of all the Europa League fixtures if you want, Villa fans, next season. They're 14th winning 23 Premier League games under Unai Emery. Um, uh, puts them seventh, level on points with Spurs. Let's look at the bottom of the table then. So look, we've covered Leeds. And we've covered Everton, right? So at the moment, and Southampton. So Southampton are down. Leicester on 19th with 30 points. They play Liverpool tonight. Leeds on 31. Everton on 32. Nottingham Forest above them on 34. They got a draw at Chelsea. Um, Simon says, has Frank Lampard been given enough credit for this two-game unbeaten run that Chelsea are on? Um, uh, Forest are three points clear then of the relegation zone. Um, and another, you know, two for a one year who's come back. He's been out for a long time. And look, they could have won this game, but do you think they'll be happy with the point? It is. It's a good point, uh, not least because of their dreadful form on the road. I think this is their seventh, uh, the only the seven point they've acquired on their travels this season. But I thought Chelsea were kind of there for the taking and they weren't incisive enough. But given the results elsewhere, it'll do. Point, fine. Would have been... Uh, three would obviously be far more beneficial for the cause. And uh, I don't have a huge amount to say about this game. The, uh, it was interesting that Edward Mendy was brought back in for Chelsea, who are apparently think not particularly happy with either of their goalkeepers and thinking of bringing in a new one. Um, and... Sorry, I'm I'm gibbering like an idiot. It's it's just I've watched so much football this weekend. I can't, this game seems like it was played weeks ago, and I'm struggling to remember what happened. Yeah, so that's absolutely fine. Look, one year scored four goals in the last two games. The last Forest player uh, to score two goals in consecutive Premier League games was Brian Roy in 1995. I suppose the big story out of this is Pochettino agreeing to become the new Chelsea boss. We all knew it was going to happen, John. Uh, we're waiting uh, like it all to be signed, sealed, and delivered in the official statement. He has so much to do, doesn't he? I don't know. Where do you start? One of the things that I was well, I was found entertained by Poch was that he's into that mystical thinking, isn't he? Like that's the sort of motivational. If you if you realise, if if you think this is going to happen, it will happen. That you know, and there's a bit more philosophy added onto that. Well, 
he's going to have to think about a lot of things, including, you know, Todd Bowley's, uh, you know, okay, the goalkeeper thing. I mean, okay, I wouldn't disagree they need a new goalkeeper, but what goalkeeper is he going to end up with? I mean, this is the the issue. Let's think of the jobs that he's done. I mean, you know, uh, actually, Southampton, he took over in relatively rude health, left there by Nigel Atkins, the philosopher-poet, yeah. Um, and Tottenham, actually, I think... Tim Sherwood left him a reasonable hand there. Going into and he's gone. He's on PSG as well. Obviously, well, okay, that's a that's a circus. The, is this more of a circus than PSG? In a way, yes. In another way, no. Um, he's got a hell of a job. But it doesn't have like a, it doesn't have an elephant. It's got loads of like it's got loads of what else you have as trapeze artists but it doesn't have the big elephant in the middle on the well, ball it's, got, pl- does it's it? got plenty of clowns max is probably what we were looking for yeah um yeah yeah uh, fair, yeah fair. um it, it's <laughs> there's a lot of clowns around and it's um it's a complete mess but it but he's the sort of guy that can turn this around if given uh his head and allowed to do it we just wonder whether the owners are going to allow that because Potch is a guy that what you do remember about Potch's reign at Tottenham is that it all became about Pochettino. We forgot about Daniel Levy for a bit. One of Tottenham's biggest problems at the moment is that it's all about Daniel Levy now. And what we don't want Chelsea to be about, which is what they've all been about this season, is Todd Bowley and and his acolytes. Uh, You need someone to take on the club, make it in their image. And if they allow him to do that, they'll have a good manager and they've got talent within the squad. So good luck, but obviously... So many things were overcome, including finances, shifting plays around. Um, good manager, big challenge. Uh, six goals in eight games for Eberich Yeze. You've already mentioned him, Jordan. That tuna win uh, over Bournemouth for Palace. He's such a wonderful player. And they were brilliant goals. And Roy Hodgson has set him free. Uh, at Old Trafford, Manchester United beat Wolves 2-0. Um, any strong thoughts on this game, John? They're sort of shoring up Champions League football, aren't they? Yeah, they're just sort of edging along, aren't they, I suppose. What the headline, I suppose, is... Martial scores and um, uh, what a difference a centre forward when fit can make and Garnacho coming back. I suppose those are the things. Uh, what's hang on, what was the name of the goalie? Wolves' goalie made his debut. Daniel Bentley. Daniel Bentley. Yeah, he had a good game. I think you know. Congratulations to him for that. Um, Wolves are safe. Um, nice game for Manchester United to have at this point of the season, considering how wobbly they've been. I'm still not convinced they're going to get the job done. Finally, Brentford beat West Ham 2-0. West Ham made seven changes, all about the Europa Conference League. For them, they beat AZ Alkmaar 2-1 at home on Thursday. Uh, they did well to turn it around, actually. Alkmaar were the, the better side in the first half. Um, uh, this will be Brentford's first top-half finish in the top division since 1938. Lots of getting it launched, long throws. I'm here for it. Well done to them. Leicester-Liverpool tonight. We'll cover that on Wednesday. In the Women's FA Cup final, Chelsea beat Man United uh, 1-0 Sam Kerr with the goal actually Manchester United played quite well in this game I thought John um, and they just couldn't finish any of their chances and then the pass from Hart the cross from Harder to Kerr she couldn't miss and she doesn't miss she's a brilliant player no she she is unbelievable really and Wembley is her stage um, yeah Manchester United very unlucky I switched over from the City game knowing what was happening uh, and yeah this was a much more entertaining game it looked like Wembley was draining both teams Sam Kerr came up with a big moment um, and then you've got to back Chelsea to go and finish off the double from this point because they were really good the other night I covered the game on Thursday night against Leicester yeah they're going to do it um, unstoppable train they are under Emily Hayes really yeah big games next weekend in the WSL where uh, it's the Manchester derby and Chelsea play Arsenal. Uh, full rundown, of course, on tomorrow's uh, Women's Football Weekly. To the National League playoff, uh, before we do the EFL playoffs, the final. Uh, Chesterfield 2, Notts County 2, after extra time. Notts County winning 4-3 on penalties. Across both their games in the playoffs, Notts County led for one minute. And yet, Barry, they deserve to be in the Football League. And this game, like like all the playoff games, have been utterly ridiculous. Yeah, with two brilliant semi-finals, both teams were quite lucky to get through them. And then they served up an absolute treat at Wembley. Looked like Notts County were going to blow their chance again. And, you know, Chesterfield obviously won't agree. It's best for the National League if Notts County get promoted at levels of the playing field. We've we've said this before, but 
I think they deserve to win this game on the balance of play, even though they had to come from behind twice. And then they go through on penalties. Uh, John Bostock has one to win it and tries a Penenka, which hits the bar and you're just going, oh my God, why are you making life so difficult for yourselves? He had earlier obviously scored a brilliant free kick with a bit of the help from the Chesterfield goalkeeper, Ross Fitzsimmons, who used to play for Notts County, actually. and uh, But they got the job done in the end. And, um, yeah, I, I, they deserve it. And Chester, hard, hard luck to Chesterfield. Yeah, I mean, brutal game. Archie Mayer, the sub-keeper for um, uh, Notts County, came on for the shootout, save two, brilliantly. The second save is absolutely unbelievable. It's off, He's dived past oh, it and yeah. he got his foot, oh. I think. It's hard to see it. Is it the other right hand, hand? Was it? It's like yeah. an amazing save. It's 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 like it's like it's he's gone yeah. and then he's he's pulled the other bit hand like out. Pitt, it's bit like Pitt could be Columbia, I think, in the in the World Cup. And actually, the yeah, guy who scored yeah. the winning penalty, Kedwin Scott, was the guy who missed the last minute penalty against Wrexham that Ben Foster saved in that title decider. So like. <laughs> I mean, it's just the narrative is, is everywhere, isn't it? Um, uh, Graham says, Wrexham, Notts County are first and second favourites to win League Two next season. Is it time for grown-ups in the room to agree to four up, four down between League Two and the National League? It's the kind of conversation we've had before. I wouldn't be totally against it, or at least three up, uh, three down. We, we, we've had this conversation a lot, but I, I've yet to hear anyone say, what has to happen for that to happen? I presume football league clubs have a major say, if not all the say, and they're not going to vote for they're it, not, are they? They're not going to vote for Ford. You know, they, they, that's it, isn't it? It's it's down to self-interest at all points. It is, but I actually think it's... In life. I actually know you're right. I actually think it's counterintuitive. I think, you know, it's really hard to get back up. And so all the teams going, do you know what? It might be better to make it easier to go down, but easier to get back. Uh, Simon says, a couple of Chesterfield supporting friends of mine were at the National League playoff final yesterday. They said there was pink gin available at the bar at Wembley. Has a target market ever been missed quite so badly? How do you know the people of Chesterfield may love pink gin? They may swim in pink gin, for all we know. Uh, in the championship, Coventry nil, Middlesbrough nil. So that is pretty even, isn't it? Sunderland 2, Luton 1, Barry. You might just do it. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I'm not that fussed whether they do it or not, so there's, there's no very little anxiety on my part. Uh, it was a brilliant performance by a Sunderland team that had uh, was missing their two central defenders. They had uh, two right wingers playing as their fullbacks. They had a fullback playing at centre half and a midfielder playing at centre half. All none of them over five foot nine, I think, and. I think more, a lot of people will have seen Sunderland in action against Fulham in the FA Cup, the game at Craven Cottage that ended in a draw, and they played remarkably well. Alex Pritchard, Ahmed Diallo in on loan from Manchester United has been brilliant. Jack Clark, Patrick Roberts. They, they play some very attractive football. Wilson has said on the pod before, and I incline to agree with him, it's a bit too soon for this team to go up because Tony Mowbray is... Is building something beautiful there at Stadium of Light. But Tony Mowbray said it's never too soon. So if that's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And uh, But a lot of work to do in the second leg and then the final if they get to the final. Um, uh, Nick Harris, our friend at Sporting Intel, says Luton, who are chasing promotion today, and Notts County, who won promotion today, are the only two teams never to have played in the Premier League but to have received Premier League parachute payments anyway. Uh, it's a good stat. Uh, in League One, Barnsley won, Bolton won. Uh, Joe says, uh, read people getting annoyed about you not talking about their club. I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan. I'd quite like it if you didn't talk about my club. Absolute disaster <laughs> for Wednesday. 96 points. And uh, they lost 4-0 at London Road to Preetub United. So well done to Borough. Um, uh, he said, uh, disappointingly, I'd like you to be in the same division as us next year. We've done our job. It's time for you to do yours. But I can't expect Sheffield Wednesday. There was, it was quite interesting. There was a poster put up by someone called Lisa saying, you know, if you want tickets to Wembley or like a ticket for the coach, please, you know, call this number. 
And then I tweeted that out going, you know, that you've gone a bit early there. And then someone said, actually, this is from, lots of Wednesday fans said it's from 2016. And then Sheffield United fans said, actually, look at the letter next to it. It's 2023. It was dated 2023. So I don't know who's telling me the truth. But anyway, you can always message Lisa if you want to go to the playoff final at Sheffield Wednesday. Almost certainly won't be in. Yes, John? I was going to say, you want to stop getting yourself involved with fans, Maxis. <laughs> oh, honestly, yeah, it's very, it's made me feel a bit sort of, yeah. Vulnerable. It's, stressful, it's, not, it's not nice, is yeah. it? I'm just not... I'm yeah. not a tough guy. I'm not tough no, enough to deal no. with it. Um, Salford beat Stockport 1-0. Bradford beat Carlisle 1-0 in League 2. Rob says, uh, thanks to Max Barry and the rest of the Guardian Football Weekly Podcast crew. You're a long-time companion through my daily Atlanta traffic commute. I just signed up to regularly support the Guardian financially. There was no way on the form to indicate why I was giving. I just want you all to know I'm supporting the Guardian because of the Football Weekly Podcast. Uh, all the best from Rob. Uh, thank you, Rob. We don't mind. You can just give the Guardian... Uh, the money and uh, you know we'll get some reflected glory uh, down the way um, uh, Jack says hi Max and the rest of the pod team we, we won't Jack says uh, hi Max and the rest of the pod team in recent tradition I'm notifying you of the vasectomy oh. that I have coming up today the 13th of May so it's uh, been and gone save some episodes to get me through how many how long does a vasectomy take on another note I'd like to thank you for the attention you've paid to mental health on some of the past episodes the struggle is real being able to talk about it frankly can help understand how you can deal with the emotions thanks for everything uh, your pod is a welcome update to my daily commute total pleasure i uh, hope you're feeling okay jack let's know how it went um uh, robert says i just about can remember a time before this season started with the finish line in sight how are the enthusiasm levels and Ma matthew says hi max with the end of the season getting very close which members of the panel are on the beach I think the Guardian Football Weekly team deserve their own award for keeping up such high standards during a marathon season. Thank you for helping me keep sane. Um, I, I think, you know, just got to chug on through, haven't you, Barry? You know, there's nothing else we can do. The football happens, we talk about it. Well, there's been the odd weekend here and there where I've sort of thought, oh, God, this is a bit of a grind. But that weekend just gone was superb, just absolutely superb entertainment. I think I watched maybe seven or eight games between Friday evening and Sunday evening, uh, or you know, not every minute of seven games, most or all of seven or eight games. And uh, I can't think of many, too many bad ones. Oh, there we are. So we're still at it and we will be at it until the season finishes and beyond. That, all that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.